0: Chapter 4, verses 21 through 31. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondwoman, the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and he of the free woman through promise which things are symbolic. For these are the two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage with her children. But the Jerusalem above all is free, which is the mother of us all. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren, you who do not bear, Break forth and shout, you who are not in labor, for the desolate has many more children than she who has a husband. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of promise. But as he who was born according to the flesh then persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, even so it is now. Nevertheless, what does the scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, For the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. Let's pray. Oh God, as we see an incredible picture, an allegory of grace and freedom versus the flesh And the law, we realize that this isn't a necessarily tasty little skittle to savor this morning. It's a steak that's savory, it's a multivitamin that is healthy, it is good, we need it, and it's for us today. And so give us minds that could comprehend, open our eyes that we can see Jesus in this allegory and change us as we've already prayed so desperately today in your name amen those of you who are wanting your mother's day sermon boom (laughs) here it is two mothers one of slavery and one of freedom i get the weekly text from worship leaders saying what are you teaching on and what songs can i do I don't know. <laughs> you know anything about Hagar and, you know, slavery? Um, he's, he did pretty good today, that's for sure. So the title of today's message is Two Mothers, One of Slavery and One of Freedom. It's a message of grace. Grace to the barren. Grace to those who have nothing of themselves to offer. Tim Keller said, these verses are explosive. Did you get that as we read it? Right? Explosive verses. But Stott says these are some of the most difficult passages and verses in all of Galatians. Explosive and difficult. For one thing, it presupposes that every one of us has a working Old Testament understanding. So when we talk about Hagar, boom, we know Hagar. When we talk about Abraham, boom, we know Abraham. When we talk about Sarah, ooh, we know Sarah. We know that whole drama and soap opera and in Genesis that took place. We know that. Uh, it presupposes that, um, that uh, uh, this would have been familiar to us in you know 2016 Prineville, uh, who maybe aren't real working, understanding uh, Jewish law, Jewish customs, the word law, you know, what does that mean to us? Uh, And so maybe that is why it's a little bit difficult today. Uh, And so we're gonna pull it apart and trust that the Lord will make it easy to swallow, easy to understand. He'll convict our hearts, he'll change our hearts, he'll conform us into the image of his son, and he'll give us just a a wonderful spring in our step this Mother's Day as we ponder grace. And so verse 21 starts out saying, Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? Remember, Paul is writing to the churches in the region of Galatia that, are, uh, that were founded by him, but had Judaizers creep in, men who had a Jewish background and had a little bit of Jesus, and they would try to preach Jesus plus works equals salvation. That you must work, you must earn favor with God, you must earn, and that that is in addition to what Jesus did on the cross. And Paul would say that that is perverting the true gospel, that it's not another gospel, and that anyone who would preach such a thing should be cursed. It's not Jesus plus works that saves. It's Faith in his grace. The grace of God saves us and it comes to us through the conduit of belief. Believing in him. How does that belief happen? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so today we pray that as the word of God goes forth, that the Holy Spirit will strike your hearts and minds towards faith, towards belief, towards receiving, believing and receiving as Paul tells the Corinthians God has dealt to each one a measure of faith it's our prayer today that that today you who maybe who've been coming to Calvary chapel and it's just like don't 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 like that today the lord would open your eyes to see and that he would bring faith and understanding to your heart and so those galatians who were kind of fighting going back to doing works based salvation they would be Saved from sin, saved from hell, saved to God, saved into the blessings of God by working really hard, um, Paul has a message to them. And he has a message to those that were preaching such a false gospel to them. He actually says that they were desiring to be under the law. They had a desire to rely on themselves and their works and their labor for their right standing with God. Why would you desire that? Why would you desire to go back under the law, under what chapter 3 says a prison that confines us under sin or going back from being graduated in a professional to being back in elementary school under a tutor and a harsh schoolmaster? Again, why would you want to backslide in that way? Well, to the to the normal man, there are many advantages to being under the law as Paul puts it here. Under that relying on yourself. Those advantages are, first of all, you always have this outward certain list of rules to keep. Just give me a list of rules. Give me something to do, Pastor Rory. It's amazing how much we hear that as we go through marriage ministries and marriage series and things like that. And we just have people say, just tell me what to do. Give me a lot of follow. Give me a checklist. Give me five points. Come on, tell me what to do. And the normal man would take some kind of outward certainty in having that list of rules. Secondly, once we have that list, we begin complimenting ourselves and patting ourselves on the back because we keep that list, or we think we do. We forget the ones we don't keep. Or we think, hey, I keep it better than him. So head gets big, walk gets a bit haughty. And finally, then we take our credit for our own salvation because we think that we've earned it. And so that is why the Galatians, that's just a couple of reasons why the Galatians were kind of backsliding, desiring to go back under the law. But under the law, it is what you do for God that makes you right before him. Under grace... It's what God has done for you in the person and work of Christ Jesus that makes you right with God. Under the law, your works, your trying, your effort, whether it's trying to keep the law of Moses or just try to keep a moral law, your efforts under the law is focused on your performance. It's performance-based. Well, under the grace of God, the focus is on who Jesus is, his performance, and what he has done. And guys, it's so much better than your performance, I'm sorry. Under the law, as we might remember Adam and Eve, we turn into Adam and Eve where we find some sort of covering for ourselves, and we find fig leaves, and... And try to cover ourselves. And maybe God won't notice that we totally sinned against him. And fig leaves are a little scratchy. (laughs) And the Lord sees right through them. But under the grace of God, also in the Adam and Eve story, he has slain an animal. He has slain a lamb. A perfect spotless lamb. And he has made covering for our sin. And that Genesis account is fulfilled in Jesus, who was the lamb that was slain from the foundations of the world to not only cover our sins, but to take away our sin. The law says responsibility, but grace says responsibility. Respond. Respond to what he has done his performance, his perfection, rest in that. I so hope to have an original thought in my head at some point in my life. But as I was reading Tim Keller this week, he said something that I got to say. And I got to share with you because it ministered to me. He said there are four types of people. First of all, the law-obeying people and the law-relying people. These are the people who are under the law, who are usually very smug, self-righteous, and superior. On the outside, they're very sure that they are right with God, but deep down, they have a lot of insecurity because no one can truly and perfectly keep the entire law and live up to such a standard. This makes these people touchy and sensitive to criticism devastated when their prayers aren't answered, They're law obeying, and they rely upon the law. This is certainly people from other religions that are religious, but it also can speak to people within the church today, even those at Calvary Chapel. You might remember the Pharisees of Jesus' day, and that is the, the camp that these law obeying, law relying people are in. Then we have kind of a notch over the law disobeying and yet still law-relying people. They disobey the law and yet they're still trying to rely upon their keeping of the law. These people have a religious conscience of strong works righteousness, but their lives aren't consistent with it. As a result, they're more humble than the Pharisee type person. But they're also much more guilt-ridden. They know that they've blown it. They've got mood swings like crazy. And they like to shy away from religious topics because they know they haven't measured up. One more notch over. This is the third person. The law disobeying, not law-relying. The heathens, if you will. The people who've thrown off the concept of the law of God intellectually they're secular or relativistic and they have very vague spirituality they often choose their own moral compass their own moral standards and insist that they are meeting them but Paul says in Romans chapter 1 verses 18 through 20 that they even on a subconscious conscience level they have fallen they're guilty they've fallen short of the glory of God these people disobey the law and don't rely upon the law, usually happier and more tolerant than the Pharisees, there's a strong liberal self-righteousness in them. They feel like they are earning their own salvation and that they too are superior to others. It's just kind of a less obvious self-righteousness. Then the fourth one and the last one is the law-obeying but not law relying. These are Christians who understand the gospel and are living out the freedom of it. They obey the law of God out of grateful joy that comes from the knowledge of their sonship and their adoption. They have freedom from fear and selfishness. This fourth group, the law obeying, but not relying upon the law, They're more tolerant than number three, more sympathetic than number one, and more confident than number two. But most Christians struggle to live out number four. And they tend to see the world through a number one, number two, or number three point of view. And so my hope is that through Galatians and through this example of Hagar and Sarah, that the Lord would help us to live out that number four camp. And as you heard those four different people groups, look through your past and look at your present. Which group are you in? And which group do you see the world through? You who desire to be under the law, don't you hear what the law says? And what essentially Paul is saying there is, let's do a Bible study, let's look at the law or the scriptures and see if that's really something that you want to do. What we have here in Galatians chapter 4 is another study in Galatians through the life of Abraham. It's the second one that we've had so far that Paul brings to us. What Paul essentially does is he meets the Judaizers on their own turf right now and ministers to them through the scriptures. So first of all, Paul thinks historically using Abraham, using their history. The Jews would often listen to their own history. You see that with Stephen in Acts chapter seven. They'll listen to a whole sermon if you're talking about their history. And so that's what he does here, speaking to Abraham and Abraham's testimony. Luther says, Paul makes it clear enough through this story that it takes more than an Abrahamic pedigree to be a child of God to be a child of God requires faith in Christ. And that's what he's going to do here in this history. Look at verse 22. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondwoman, the other by a free woman. Born to different mothers, is what Paul speaks of here. Abraham had two sons, born to different mothers. Let's go ahead and look at why does that even matter? What's important about that? Well, go back to Genesis chapter 12. We've got it on the screen if you're not fast at flipping. Genesis 12, 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, he was called Abram at this time, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you And make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Then Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother, son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people whom they had acquired in Haran, and they departed to go to the land of Canaan. So they came to the land of Canaan. So what we have in Genesis chapter 12 is kind of this first gracious appearance of God to a pagan from Canaan, okay? It's just God going and reaching out to Abraham by his grace. And he makes Abram just this incredible promise, just out of the blue, out of nowhere, saying to Abram, that I am going to make you a great nation. Now, that would be logical, maybe. That would be expected, maybe, if Abram, by the time he's what, 75 years old, has a whole bunch of kids and grandkids, and nowadays, by the time you're 75, you've got like great grandkids or great great grandkids. Like, yeah, of course you are. I've already got that nation here. <laughs> There's a problem with this promise. There's a little contingency, and we see it in Genesis 15, verses 1 through 6. And so you can just flip over a page if you're following along in that way. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless, And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Then Abram said, look, you've given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, this one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, look now toward heaven and count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. And he believed in the Lord, and it was counted to him for righteousness. So again, this promise comes that I'm your shield, I'm your exceedingly great reward. And just immediately, Abram's thinking, reward, I don't even have any kids. I don't have any boys. I'm like, how old was he now? It was a couple years later. So, you know, he's like in his 80s at this point. Well, you know, first of all, Lord, I don't even have any offspring. This doesn't make sense. This is the second time you've told me I'm going to be a great nation and that all the families of the earth are going I'm already about to croak. How are the families of the earth going to be blessed through me? And Eliezer, my servant's son, is the only dude that's been born in my house. Like it's a dry, like, you know, there's cobwebs on the wall around here. Literally and metaphorically. Like, what's up? As, as the Hebrews author says, Abram was as good as dead when the Lord promised this. And the Lord says, no, 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 the son of Eleazar won't be your heir, but one that I will give you. He will come from your own body and he will be the promise that all the nations of the world will be blessed through. So here's this blessing again. And, and, you know, even when there's doubt, it's so cool. The Lord takes Abram outside. What a relationship, huh? Like, there was a picture just like this today that had actually God taking him out. and I didn't put it on here because I do not want anyone to worship that image, you know. But, uh, you know, the Lord takes Abram outside and he says, check it out. See all the galaxies and all those stars. And I'm going to make your descendants like that. And again, cobwebs, you know. You know, maybe hadn't been intimate in like mm, decades. I don't know, you know. Like, uh, uh, but when the Lord said it, that settled it for Abram. And he believed the Lord. And this is, an, this is the, the scripture that the New Testament refers to again and again. Abram believed. Not in himself, not in his, not in his ability, not in her ability, not in the decades, not in the oh, ticking time clock, I'm as good as dead. I don't even look at that, Lord, because when you talk, that settles it. I believe you. My, my kids, my kids are going to be as the stars of the sky. Man, when God speaks to you, Does that settle it? There's the old saying, God says it, I believe it, that settles it. But you know what? You can just take out the I believe it part. When God says it, that settles it, whether you believe it or not. You get to believe it today. And he has told Abram, believe in me. It will be as righteousness to you. Salvation was going to come to the whole world through Abraham's seed. That's the promise that's being made right there. Salvation is going to come to every as you do the language, every family, every nation, every people group. It, you can take it down to the smallest people group. You can go tribe, family, clan, village, you know, salvation of Jesus will come to those people through Abram's seed, who is Jesus. And if I can just hop off on a small little tangent real quick, some 4,000 years after this promise has been made, there are still tribes, people, families, nations who've never heard the name of Jesus. And even now they are having dreams the lord is alongside of them he's convicting them of sin and righteousness and judgment many are having dreams and they're saying that an angel appeared to me and they told me that someone's going to come and they will tell me how to be forgiven of my sins and how to be reconciled to my god and the statistics right now are that over half of the world's population in 4000 years since this happened has never heard of jesus and is perishing in their sins to to burn and to be in torment for all of eternity So we have a mission, friends, to be a part of this heritage of Abraham whose believed has been called righteous because we believed in the promise of Abraham, Jesus Christ, and now we've been given a commission and a mission to go to these people groups and to tell them about Jesus. It's one of the great purposes of our church is to make disciples locally and to make them globally. So we go to Nepal or we go to Haiti or we go to wherever we can go as the Lord will lead us and direct us out so that this promise can be fulfilled in 2016 Prideville, begin to be fulfilled. And so, Abraham had two sons. How does that happen? How did he have two sons? He didn't even have a son at this point. Well, the first one says, the first was by the bondwoman. Let's look at Genesis 16. How by the bondwoman? Say, what? In Genesis 16, it says, now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. Time had gone by. The ticking clock had kept ticking. Still no kids. But she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, She has a great idea. See now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. So Abram heeded the voice of Sarah. Doesn't seem like there was a whole lot of thought given to it. Then Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband Abram to be his wife after Abram had dwelt 10 years in the land of Canaan. So he went into Hagar and she conceived and when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress became despised in her eyes. So he had two sons. Sarah suggests that Abram sleep with her maidservant, Hagar, so that they could build a family their way. Through her, Abraham agreed, Hagar conceived, and Ishmael was born. Well, the story goes on. The drama goes on in chapter 16, verses 15 and 16. So Hagar bore Abram a son. Abram named his son whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. All right, we accomplished the promise of God. We didn't get it his way, so we took matters into our own hands, and we've got Ishmael, and this just seems good, doesn't it? Not to the Lord. And not to Sarai, actually. Because now Sarai's got a little bit of sister wives jealousy going on. Hagar has become despised. Oh, now she's sharing the bed with my husband, and she's got the kid, and who am I? I'm the old woman who's living in a shoe. Got no kids. <laughs> Genesis 17, God says to Abram in chapter 17, verse 15, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. And she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall be from her. Then Abram fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? And shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. We've already taken care of it, God. Let's just let this whole promise thing be through Hagar and Ishmael. And God said, no. Sarah, your wife shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his descendants after him. As for Ishmael... I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him. I'll make him fruitful. I'll multiply him exceedingly. He will beget twelve princes, and I'll make him a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this set time next year. Then he finished talking with him, and God went up from Abraham. So Abram had two sons, one from the bondwoman. And the other by a free woman. The bond woman represents the law. And the free woman represents grace. Let's look at the free woman story. Genesis 21, 1 through 3. And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age. At the set time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him. Whom Sarah bore to him Isaac. So we've got two eyes, two eye boys. Ishmael through the bondwoman, through Hagar. Isaac through the free woman, through Sarah. Verse 23 says in our text today But he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and he of the free woman through the promise. So the boys were born to different mothers and the boys were born in different ways. Now not necessarily not of, not in any way any different biological process of conception but through different ways of freedom or slavery. Now remember the son of the bondwoman it says represents the flesh represents the law. To maybe Put it in Rory Rogers' terms. It's trusting in man's wisdom. That's what this son through the bondwoman. It's trusting in man's strength, what man's plans can come up with, what man can do. It represents those who hope for salvation based upon what their human effort can do. Human attainment is what this picture of Hagar and and Isaac or I am um, Ishmael it, it, that's that's this red dead side of things by sleeping with Hagar Abraham chose to rely upon his own capabilities he was opting for the work it out myself option he was acting in faith but the faith that he had was in himself him and his wife's idea The immediate result was disaster. And that always happens wherever there's polygamy. Abraham's little bid for self-salvation had failed. He didn't rely on God's grace, but on his own ability. He relied on himself being his own savior. The result, as you read the Genesis account, would be havoc, would be disaster. Spiritually, psychologically, relationally. That's always the case when we take matters into our own hands. But then we have the son of the free woman. The son of the promise. This represents not being able to do anything from your own strength and your ability and realizing it and trusting in God's strength and God's ability and God's plan you know hebrews tells us in chapter 11 verse 11 that by faith sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed and she bore a child when she was past the age because she judged him faithful who had promised wait are we reading the same genesis account as the hebrew author because that's not what we've seen so far We've seen Sarah going off, doing her own thing, creating a whole lot of drama, a whole lot of soap opera. But the the day came when she did trust in the promises of God. And the wonderful thing is, is that thousands of years later, when Hebrews was written, God looks at Sarah, not through her failure and taking matters into her own hands. He looks at Sarah through the cross of Jesus Christ as a woman of faith, who's believed in the promises of God. And the same is said of Abram. Abraham, who was as good as dead, didn't, you know, he didn't think through that stuff. He, he believed on the Lord and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Oh wait, are we reading the same thing? Remember when he kind of went in with Hagar? And... Not through the cross. Through the cross, our failures are not seen. Just are resting in Jesus. The cross is the beautiful redeeming agent. Saving us from our dead works and reconciling us to a holy God. We see in verse 24 and on here that that this historical argument becomes an allegorical argument. Verse 24 says, these things are symbolic. For these are the two covenants. The one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar. From this Hagar is Mount Sinai, or for this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, which corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is, and is in bondage with her children. So this is, a, this is symbolic. It's the Greek word allegoro. It's an allegory. It's a picture. Hagar and Sarah, it's a picture of the gospel, It's a really interesting analogy. The gospel is that we do not try to attain righteousness that our own abilities can develop. Rather, we are to receive righteousness that's been provided through the supernatural acts of God, his redemptive work in history, the miraculous birth and life and death of his son, the resurrection of him from the dead. When we rest in his actions, there's salvation. The gospel isn't our resting, by the way. The gospel is his actions. It's what he has done that saves us. And so the allegory is that there's two different covenants or two different agreements, two different promises that have been made. The first one, verses 24 and 25, show us that it's it's the picture of Mount High. Mount Sinai, Hagar, Ishmael, Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai is where the law of Moses had been given in stone. Let's read of it in Exodus 24, 6 through 8. It says, Moses took half the blood and put it in basins, and half the blood he sprinkled on the altar, and he took the book of the covenant, and he read it in the hearing of the people, and they said, All that the Lord has said, we will do and be obedient. And Moses took the blood, sprinkled it on the people, and said, This is the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you according to all these words. So, we've got Hagar, Ishmael, works of the flesh, works of the law, goes clear back to Mount Sinai. Where not only were 10 commandments given, written on tablets of stone, but another 603 were given. More law, more commandments, more do this, do that, or you are condemned. When those commandments were given, they were read. And what did the people say? Yeah, totally, we can do that. Promise. binky, swear, God. Right. Then they killed an animal. That's what happens during covenants. There's some sort of a sealing of the deal. An animal and blood and kind of this picture of if you don't keep your end of the bargain. That's what's going on there. And men did not keep their end of the bargain. In fact, before the first set of tablets came down from the hill, they'd already been worshipping a golden calf and had been involved in sexual immorality. They already blew it. This Hagar-Ishmael-flesh-law-rules side of things doesn't work because we can't do it. It's also corresponding, it says, to Jerusalem. It's funny, reading Martin Luther's commentary, he's like, man, if I was writing this, first of all, he says, allegories are very dangerous. You should only be really good at it if you're going to do an allegory because, you know... There's a lot of things that can be taken out of word pictures, so they're dangerous. And second of all, if I was writing the allegory, I would have said Jerusalem's the good city. But then he says, but when you start thinking about what was going on in Jerusalem at the time of Paul, it was sacrifices, it was temples, it was rules and rituals and regulations and self-righteousness. So at the time, Jerusalem was on the same plane as Mount Sinai, where the Ten Commandments had come from. Sinai, the law, is an allegorical Hagar, and it did nothing but bear God a carnal and servile people of the law without promise, Luther says. But, verse 26 of our text, but the Jerusalem from above is free, which is the mother of us all. So now we have the second covenant, or the new covenant, or the New Testament, Old Testament, New Testament. The New Testament is, first of all, heavenly. And it's not the same earthly Jerusalem, but it's a heavenly Jerusalem from above. One that someone must be born again to enter into. It's not in bondage as Hagar was, but it is free as Sarah was. And just as the first covenant was sealed in the blood of a bull on Mount Sinai, The second covenant was sealed in the blood as well. But whose blood was it? The blood of Jesus. Just as he says at the last supper in Matthew 26. As they were eating Jesus took bread and he blessed and broke it. And he gave it to the disciples and said take eat this is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them saying drink from it all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for many for the remission of sins. It was there at the cross that Jesus, as a lamb without spot, as the true and better bull, lamb, partridge in a pear tree, he's the better one of all of those sacrifices. He was shed as a ransom, spilling his blood as a ransom to pay for our sins. This is all part of the heavenly Jerusalem, the Sarah, the Isaac, the faith, the promise, The new heavenly Jerusalem, sealed with the better blood, the blood of Jesus. This is the mother of us all. As Luther says, when a believer accepts the heavenly gifts of the gospel, he is in heaven. The mother city is where you are. And if you're in Jesus, you're in heaven, wherever you are. The kingdom of God is here, and it's not yet, but it's here, but it's not yet. Where's the kingdom of God? It's wherever the king is. And if you come to Jesus, the king comes into your heart and dwells in you, makes his home in you, never leaves you or forsakes you. He blesses us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. The New Testament, the new covenant. Verse 27, for it is written, rejoice, O barren, You who do not bear, break forth and shout, you who are not in labor. For the desolate has made many more children than she who has a husband. There's a lot to get into in that. There's a lot of history and we don't have the time this morning, but just a simple reading of Isaiah 54, 1, which is the quote here, rejoice you who are barren. That means you who have nothing and think you have nothing to give God, but just to receive from him blessed are the poor as jesus puts it blessed are the poor in spirit is that you today do you realize that you are barren that you got nothing to give it says break forth and shout you who are not in labor you're not laboring you're not the hagar you're not the ishmael you're not Working, you're not doing it and trying to earn it and trying to earn favor with God and just white knuckling it and pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps and just, I can make it on my own and let's do it my way. God's ways don't make sense. There's no way he could do this. You guys, you are laboring over there. You can rejoice to say, I got nothing. Nothing in my hands do I bring. Simply to the cross do I cling. The crucial question on this Mother's Day is, who is your mother? If it is Hagar, then you are Ishmael, and you are a slave. But if it is Sarah, you are Isaac, and you are free. Verse 28 closes us out with a personal application. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of promise. Are you Isaac today? By the grace of God, are you Isaac? By the grace of God, you can be Isaac today. Children of promise. Romans chapter 9, verses 7 and 8 essentially tell us in a simplified version that our adoption and our salvation is not based on race. It's based on grace. Doesn't matter what line you come from. The grace of Jesus can adopt you in and graft you into the promises of God. Verse 29, but as he who was born according to the flesh then persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, even so it is now. Jesus says in John chapter 16 verse 2 that the day will come when they will put you out of the synagogues. That means they're going to persecute you. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God's service. The children of Hagar, the children of Ishmael, those that work after the flesh, they will always persecute the children of the free woman, the children of the promise. It happens today. Just as Paul says that the Judaizers crept in as false brethren, as pseudo-brethren, they creep in and they spy, and there's espionage going on, and they creep to spy out your freedom so that they can lead you into bondage. And it happens in subtle, secret, slithery ways. More often than it happens in... A guy walking in in a white suit that says Antichrist on the back. That's the easy one to spot. (laughs) They come in, they spy you out according to the flesh, and they persecute you who rest in the grace of the Lord Jesus. And as we're wrapping up, maybe someone's supposed to go get Adam. There's Adam, you're here. All right, cool. Teaching our kids back there. Verse 30 goes on to say, nevertheless, what does the scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the free woman shall not be the heir with the son of the free woman. Genesis 21 tells this story in verse 8. So the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the same day that Isaac was weaned. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, scoffing or mocking. Therefore she said to Abraham, cast out this bondwoman and her son. For the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, namely with Isaac. And the matter was very displeasing in Abraham's sight because of his son. But God said to Abraham, do not let it be displeasing in your sight Because of the lad, or because of your bondwoman, whatever Sarah has said to you, listen to her voice, for in Isaac your seed shall be called. Yet I will also make a nation of the son of the bondwoman, because he is your seed. So there's always going to be persecution from the son of the bondwoman, from the law, from works, and there's also going to be mocking. There's also going to be tension. There's always going to be that war. And so Paul says, we need to be reminded of what the scripture said. It's time to cast out the bondwoman. Today at Calvary Chapel of Crook County, it's time to cast out the bondwoman. It's time to cast out our own confidence in our ideas and our plans and our self-righteousness and what we can do on our own and how we can earn and how we can attain. Guys, we've got to cast that out and say, get out. Get out. Get out. And may the Spirit just bring a word of knowledge, may He just bring conviction to your heart as to how that needs to happen in your life. It doesn't seem fair in this account that Hagar and Ishmael have to have to go, but God was good and gracious to them, making him the father of twelve princes. And a mighty nation as well. But to come back to the allegory, the bondwoman has to go. Cast out the law, the flesh. Have the worship team come on up. Verse 31 So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. Who are you a child of today? It's Mother's Day. Praise God for you, moms. It's a good day to ask, who's the mother of me? The flesh, the law, striving, or the promise, the grace that comes through Jesus Christ? Why don't we go ahead and set our things aside and just. Close our eyes and respond to the word. Let's just let the Spirit of God just move in our midst. So, our prayer today is that today would be a day of adoption. That you would no longer be a slave today. Oh, there is freedom. There is life. There is hope. There is provision. There is forgiveness. There's a new start for you. If you would cast out the bondwoman today, if you would stop trying to attain through yourself being good, you'll never be good enough. And Lord, we just ask this morning that you would just show this morning. Show us our failures, God. Show us how we've broken your law. We have lied, we have cheated, we have stolen. We have coveted. We have committed idolatry. We have committed adultery. We have worshiped other gods before you. We have trusted in our own Strength and our own works and our own ideas and we've been found wanting but you Jesus have made a way for us failures to be seen just as if we'd never sinned before and you have made a way through Jesus and the blood of the cross to be forgiven of those failures to be forgiven of that rebellion to be made right with God you have made a way through the blood of the cross to not only be free but to be adopted in as sons and daughters and to be made heirs Oh, and our hearts just burst with joy. And just as you are here today, and the word of God, the scriptures, the Bible has gone out like a mighty rushing flood and washed over you. I believe that as the word has gone forth, forth this morning, that just all of the, the dirt and the muck that has just been resting upon you and in the crevices of your life and your character and your actions the word is just going over and washing down and getting down to your heart exposing you showing you yes to be a sinner but that there's life in Jesus and if you're here today and for the first time in your life you found that this is true there is life in Jesus and I need that life I invite you to receive it today. I invite you to receive the life that comes in Jesus. And I would just ask that you would respond to Jesus' call by lifting your hand up to him today. Lift your hand up right where you're at and just say, Lord, I see that I've failed. I see that I've been a slave. I see that I have tried to do it on my own and it's just bringing destruction and death and hurt and pain and weariness and I've failed and there's condemnation and in my heart and there's future condemnation and judgment to hell and I just can't do it Lord if that's you today lift your hand up and just confess to the Lord I can't do it Lord sees you as you lift your hand. Just keep it up. Just let him wash his grace and his mercy over you. Anybody else? Just lift your hand up and say, I want that grace. The Lord sees you today. The Lord sees you. Just receive. Just receive his grace. Today, just as I was praying, and man, I just lay, lay in bed and I just. Oh, I just had a picture just in my heart of just a mother who would come here today on Mother's Day. And just as that question is asked on Mother's Day, who's your mother? Hagar or Sarah? And maybe today would be the day that you, as a mom, you would come and you would be saved on Mother's Day. You would be born again on Mother's Day. You would be taken from being out of the camp of the mother Hagar over to the mother of the free woman, and you would be born again you would be free you would be born into the heavenly jerusalem if that's you just i mean i believe that's just a word for a mom here just receive today a new line a new family a family of faith a family that goes up through sarah Nothing in your hands do you bring. You're going through an adoption process right now where you just come with empty pockets and empty hands and you just let the Father adopt you into his home. You let the Father just give you of his inheritance and call you his son and call you his daughter. This is you've been lifting your hands. Just receive that today. Receive his grace. Just let it wash over you. Let it cleanse you. Rejoice, O barren. You who do not bear. You can rejoice. Those those of you that have just lifted your hand up saying, I don't have it, Lord. You have it. Just rejoice right now. Thank you, Lord. Break forth and shout, you who do not labor. And today if that's you and you just want to go from a place of laboring to not laboring... You can shout today. You can rejoice today. As you receive a new sonship through Jesus Christ. Thank you for those that have lifted their hands today in response to your word, who've been like little children. I don't care what people think. I know that this is right for me right now. Lord, would you just encourage them as you seal them with the Holy Spirit of promise. Would you let them cry out to you today as we learned last week they can cry out Abba Father in just a deep, rich, intimate, familial sense. Let them rejoice. Let's stand together and let's just continue to let the Holy Spirit move in our midst and break down walls and break down pride and As we close together, we're going to close in this song.